I looked at it from from the point of view of uh, prioritization and how do you how I do communicating and then identifying why it matters will allow you to get you know potentially to get resources or get other people in the organization behind the belief that a product or a, a problem needs to be solved you know, whatever that problem may be. I mean, I could see the point that Steve was making about getting to the root of the problem because sometimes it is hard to understand. I mean, I think the the the, the snow on the, on the driveway is a, is a pretty good example. Welcome to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week, a podcast that explores product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. I am Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Hello everybody, Grant Hunter here with the Product Growth Leaders conversation. Steve, I mean, as long as I've been doing product management, there people talk about you have to find a problem to solve, right? I think even Drucker talked about finding the problem to solve 50, 60, 80 years ago, whenever it was. Yet, when we work with clients, it seems like one of the areas that they struggle the most with is actually defining market problems that actually resonate with people that people understand. As you remember, I've got a client who I'm working with who they did this whole survey on market problems, yet none of the things they surveyed were market problems. They were like features. And so I thought maybe we could talk about market problems and how do we, how do you do good market problems? How can you be successful enabling and empowering the organization with market problems? So uh, you know, talk to me about your thoughts on market problems. I mean, you've, you've talked about market problems probably longer than most anybody. I certainly have been talking about market problems for the longest time. Uh, and I had a I had a really good um, first lesson. My first job in product management, I went into the dev team and I said, hi, I'm the new product manager. Um, I want to do well here. How can I help? And I was expecting them to say, you know, give us better specs or, uh, you know, read aloud to us from Jira. And they said, Bring us real market problems to solve, and we'll take it from there. And it was like my first real product management lesson, and it was a life changer. And I think that's one of the things when we work with teams, how often do we, when we review people's requirements, and there's air quotes, I'm, the, my screen's not big enough, requirements, do we read specs, right? We read solutions and, and solutioning. And I well, as I like to talk about it in my class, it's like the typical user story is as a user, I want this feature so that I can have this feature I want. Yeah. And so not a very good market problem statement. I, I think that this, you know, helping people understand how to do good market problems is actually a, a critical thing to help product management succeed. So on Wednesday, we put this question uh, in the community. Oop, I hit the wrong button. How did that happen? There we go. Uh, we put this question in the community. What are the keys to communicating market problems that empower organizations? And, you know, Jason Weber came out and, and he always has some really good takes. He goes, I turn it into a story that people can understand. And the storytelling aspect of it, the narrative aspect of it is so key. But, you know, 
what should be, what's important in that story? How do we make that story work and resonate? Uh, May, I think you got the first ever cross-reference footnote of a previous answer. Talk to me about your thoughts. So I I got hung up on the word empire, right? Because it, like a lot of the times when you talk about bringing market problems, it is very much this one market problem that I want to solve today or like you know, in the next little while, when, whenever we're going to finish building that solution. But it is so much more than the just that, because, you know, if you bring in a single problem, that's what they know. If you continually bring in a single problem, they will know maybe like a little bit more. But in order to really, you know, give your team that ability to succeed, you need to build the context. And that's so much more than bringing in that one problem. Like it's, it's needs to be systemic building um, access to data, access to information, access to users, um, and access to learning. All of those things, like we talked about this before. Um, and I think it's, it's really more than just, you know, you have a problem, you need to explain it, but the problem and the nuance that surrounds that problem is so much more than just, you know, what you would bring in that one instance. You're on mute. Because of my relocated studio due, due to the flooded basement, I'm on the main floor, so I'm trying to be cognizant of street noise and such like that. No, May, I completely agree. And I, I think one issue is, we use the term market problems or problem statements or problems to solve. And the reality is there's even a tiering of those, right? There's the high level problem and how you define and describe that may be different than you, how you describe an epic or even a user story. And I think a lot of that context gets lost and people struggle with, you know, there's not one answer, one easy way to do it. I think there are standard components you need in all of them, uh, but awesome. Dominic, you came in and you, you again came back to compelling narratives and setting the stage. Talk to me about your approach and your thoughts on this. Yeah, I just want to add one, one thing to what you just uh, said about um, recently. The, what, what's really critical too is, you know, markets are super dynamic, right? So continuously communicating, you know, updates and changes in the market and in customer behaviors, well, you know, it, it keeps the, um, the organization, you know, up to date and informed, right, on, you know, what, what's happening. So th this ongoing communication is absolutely critical. It's not just a, you know, hey, this is my problem and, you know, solve it, right? And yeah. obviously, um, <laughs> again, to raise a, uh, you know, contextual um, storytelling, I would say, um, you know, when you start presenting a continuous, you know, storyline, it helps um, resonate, right, with the organization. And, and at the end of the day, you're able to really engage and, I don't know, inspire individuals to look at, uh, you know, a, a problem. And it's relatable, right? And, and that's, you know, so powerful. So it's really digging uh, deep into that. No, I completely agree. Uh, Paul Hatala, and 
Gosh, I wish he was on here more often. He's been having, he's been killing it with his answers in the in the community lately. He said, starting with problems mean you have to reverse inside out thinking. He recently heard a consultant telling their sales engineers to practice feature advantage benefit. He said, no, please, no. But I, I think that, you know, what he says is you have to make sure that you found a problem and not a symptom. Spend enough time qualitatively to get past the surface issues, dig down and to really, really understand what that core problem is, what the root problem is, whether it's the, the five whys or however you do that. And so it's interesting that so much, there's so, so much sometimes headwinds against trying to do good market problems because people want to cheat and go right to, you know, features in, in that type of stuff. Uh, Steve, you know, before you leave that point, I, I think as an industry, we've tr uh, almost tried to teach our users or our customers to bring us solutions instead of, you know, so it's like, uh, you know, a feature, a feature enhanced request on, on your website. It's like, tell me what feature you want. Uh, and certainly I've had a thousand occurrences in my lifetime of people saying, here's the feature I want. And I'm like, well, wait, what problem are you trying to solve? And then in understanding the problem, I say, oh yeah, well, that feature is not going to solve that problem. So leave the feature up, you know, the feature solutioning up to us. You, you focus on the problems. And yet, again, it's like, it just seems like a lot of our languages as vendors or as product management teams is uh, tell us, tell us about what feature you want. So we've, if we've yeah. kind of, my point is we've trained our customers to, to bring us solutions rather than to bring us problems. In that we've trained our product organizations to write and feature language instead of in problem language. Perhaps so. I mean, for me, I remember working with a big publisher a few years back and we simply said, it's, there's three simple things I want you to put in your market problem statement. Who has the problem? That's where you get some of that segmentation and personas. And this is where you do a lot of work, right? Is it all professors or is it just like adjunct professors or those people on near short-term contracts, right? Let's get it, understand that. What's the problem they have? And then why would they want to change? And, you know, for me, having those three aspects is such a critical as uh, thing to helping make people understand and, and empower the organization. Corey, you said, make it real for them. Show the story. And I'll be honest, I read the story and I'm like, oh, I, I thought of that as a Heath Brothers story. But then I went back to shift and I saw that the Heath Brothers quoted the story from the heart of change from Cotter. Yeah, that's where I initially read it. But yeah, it's it, I can put all kinds of numbers and market problems and things on a document. But until somebody actually processes that and understands why that's important, I don't think that they will change or understand the problem that we're trying to solve or how to communicate that problem. The story in the in the book is there's a, a factory that had uh, and a series of factories that bought uh, lots of things and they were trying to reduce their spending. Um, and this guy had an idea and he got one of his students to go out and buy one item and the item they picked were gloves. They went out to every factory and every place that they bought gloves and they bought one of each at every price point and they stacked them on a table in an executive conference room and instead of seeing how many pairs of gloves and how different they were on a spreadsheet in a meeting somewhere when the executives walked into this conference room they saw all these gloves piled high up to the ceiling 
And every one of them had the factory it came from and the price they paid. And sometimes you looked at the same gloves and they were different prices from different factories. But it's just an example of how much that story impacted them when they could see the real problem staring them in the face. It's like, we buy six feet of gloves <laughs> and we waste so much money. And when they saw that, that's when they decided to make a change. But they didn't want to make a change until that story was told that things slapped them in the face like that and that it was real for them at that point and that's i think the key is make this real problem we've seen it with other places where there's poor drinking water in a community and you put that drinking water in a bottle and you set it in front of a conference table or something like that that makes the problem real that's where people start to change their opinions or change their minds on things is oh now i see the problem and i think that's an amazing point that part of doing this, part of writing good and communicating good market problems to get the organization empowered into th is really change management, right? We're trying to get people outside of the norms they have in their head and see something different, which is one of the reasons I, I think I've told the story before. I, I took a uh, course in uh, business school from a the guy who was the general manager for the AS400 back in the 80s when they actually turned the AS400 around. AS400, for those who don't know, was IBM's main mid-range platform for a long time. Amazing piece of hardware, really amazing piece of hardware. Side note, uh, but they were having issues and he came in, you know, he was brought in to by Gerstner to turn it around and they end up getting a, a Baldridge Award. And he told me the main reason was he sent the engineers out to go see. And once the engineers could see how the people were using it, the issues they were having, the problems they were having, all of a sudden, all these ideas came and, they can, and it became a quality leader. And so whether it's, you know, sometimes it is just going and seeing, right? And, and going and watching them and seeing what happened, seeing the waste, the wasted time of searching for something without spell check or whatever it may be. And that's an example from my experience. Sometimes that is... The, the best opportunity to really get people to understand it uh, or videotape it for that matter, right? Show them, a, show a video of what's going on and what's happening to people. Maybe that's a way to do it. Steve, did you have something you want to say? I had many things I wanted to say, but I think I'll, I'll put that on hold so you can call somebody else. All right. Calvin, you said yes to all who mentioned stories and storytelling, and you're find, finding the inclusion of the customer narrative that directly and succinctly describe the problem they're trying to solve. And this is where you know, jobs to be done. The first time we came in was with Calvin's answer. Talk to me about your what's in your head. Yeah, so I've been doing a lot of uh, a lot of uh, customer discovery of late. Um, you probably know this because that's why I was out in in Denver. Um, a month or two, well, it's like two months ago now, and doing that, you know, other traveling around the country, talking to customers at conferences, and really trying to understand where, what, not the, not the, you know, features and functionality, but what they're trying to do. And I think, and I, and I think that that's, that's important. I think, you know, you know, Corey kind of touched upon that in the example of, um, you know, the, the, the drinking water and something he said earlier. Um, that it's not about, you know, so much about those, those features as it is about understanding, you know, what the end user or what the, you know, a, uh, you know, leadership, whoever is trying to solve, you know, which I, you know, yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> 
off mute. Uh, you just brought another point in that I think, you know, we haven't talked about it. I think if you went and read May's original post that she referenced and cross-referenced to, I, I was talked about in there, but the importance of discovery, really getting out and understanding and talking to people and listening to them. So one of the keys to community and good market problems is really understanding them with context, right? And, and having those conversations. I mean, I think that's what you're talking about, Calvin, right? Yeah, yeah. And what I was thinking and didn't say, and I've probably said this before, I mean, you you, you and probably Steve and probably others know how I, how I feel about uh, about JIRA, you know, and um, it seems that we're, you know, the, the, you know, the problem becomes, you know, problem is really, you know, this feature, you know, move this, move this button over here type of thing, as opposed to, you know, what, you know, what the challenge is. No, I, I get it completely and totally. Yeah. Uh, Eva, you, you said you've been struggling the past couple of weeks. Maybe I've been a little too vague in some of these questions and, uh, or maybe it's just been some challenging questions because there's things that, you know, the longer you're in the role, maybe you, you deal with, I don't know. But, you know, you said data, right? In wow, I mean, that's sort of a first principles, right? Data is such a key place for us to be able to help people understand. Talk to me more about where, where you are. Well, I think um, obviously customer discovery sessions are important, but a lot of times when I get on the call with like engineer or design teams, um, they'll just have questions like, obviously, well, what's the reasoning behind this? Why are we doing A instead of B? Or why are we focusing on this um, particular facet of the connector instead of this integration? And I'll be like, hey guys, look at the data, look at, you know, pulling up the the, the tables and showing what um, has the most API calls and things like that. I'm like, people are really liking this. Let's try to improve the quality of this before we focus on the quantity of getting every single API call into the integration. You know what I mean? Let's focus on improving quality over quantity. So, and a lot of times they're like, oh yeah, cool. That'll, that'll up our adoption. So I know it's not a very long answer, but I think for me, that's what I've been kind of um, dealing with, and it definitely opens people's eyes when you're able to kind of really show them the figures. Actually, I love the example there because I, there was somebody on Twitter who was talking about mental models and product management, and Pareto principle maybe is one of the most important mental models in product management because if you truly embrace that 80% of the value or usage or whatever comes from 20% of the users or features or whatever it may be, the core of the Pareto. And I've actually found it's probably more like 90-10 or 95-5 in many cases. Focus on those places where you can have the most value. So the data is very incredible to help people understand, here's why we want to do it. This is 95% of our calls are using this. The better we do this, the better we can. And I think, Steve, we, we've talked about uh, Frank Tate's 90-8-2 Thing, and it's 90% of all, all uses are common. 8% are common exceptions and 2% are exceptions. And the whole concept is you want to be, you know, differentiated in the 90 if you can be, at a minimum be differentiated in the eight before you worry about the two. And, and that goes right to uh, what you're talking about, uh, Eva. And when I saw Eva's answer, Steve, the first thing I thought about was the types of listening. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. I found uh, I, 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 all of this reminds me of it is important to tell a story that is a, a like an emotional story. Uh, a few weeks ago, I talked about 
uh, a group of people who were suddenly became suddenly became aware of the challenges of having uh, uh, parents who have Alzheimer's, and and for them it became a, a a passion. They're like, we we've got to solve this problem. But to Eva's point, uh, a story is not data, right? So we need to support those stories with, and this is how many people have this problem. And, and I'm, I think often of politicians who uh, get behind some initiative because they just found out that their grandchild has whatever the issue is. And it's like, oh, now it's personal and you care. You know, um, so anyway, there, I, I find there are, there are three kinds of listeners. There's the data listener, which typically are developers. They want to see the data. Um, there's the story listener, which uh, typically are salespeople. One person with a story is a completed research study for them. Uh, and then uh, finance people and uh, process people like formula. You know, how did you calculate that information? You know, tell me about your process. Uh, did you talk, to, you know, did you do a survey? Did you get an analyst report? You know, where, what, how was that data come uh, arrived at? So uh, data for developers, story for salespeople, uh, formula for finance. And those finance people are really peculiar about making sure you got the 30 survey respondents. Well, that's not statistically significant. I need one more. Yeah. So 31 is the small statistically valid number, <laughs> I'm told. <laughs> All right. Uh, Dutch, I have a, my first question for you is, did you hack into the system to see next week's question or topic? Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> such any such action. No, I didn't. <laughs> you, 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 and you came in this morning with us, which, you know, really rock me a little because you said keys to two related but different topics here keys to communicating market problems and empower the organization and right maybe you guys can guess what empower the organization what or sorry what the topic is going to be for next week i just gave it away <laughs> didn't i so <clears throat> to walk me through your market problem stuff yeah so um you know i'll go to what steve usually reminds us all about is just because we can solve a problem doesn't mean we should you know, so there's there's that factor of you know what's the market problem, and do we care? And if so, why? How does it you know? And in this topic of trying to empower the company or the organization, um, timing of when something is created, whether it's a whole product or whether it's a feature, uh, the prioritization and where it is on the roadmap and stuff often is equally about where the company benefits, the organization benefits, as well as what the, the users can benefit from. Uh, and, and it's a lot of times the balance between those. You know, I, I love the quote that is accredited to Henry Ford. I've used it before. Um, you know, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. You know, the problem was they needed to, to travel faster. Uh, and there were already automobiles out when Henry Ford decided he was gonna get into that business. Uh, the market problem we decided to solve was being able to create cars faster, build them faster. So we brought the assembly line, which was already around and brought it into the automotive industry. So now they're building cars faster so that people can, you know, go faster than what their horses can. Another market problem ends up being then, well, maybe we want to have cars that are competitive and race against each other. Is that something that Ford wants to solve? 
uh, you know, carrying some, carrying cargo that it would normally take six horses to pull a wagon from. Is that something that Ford wants to resolve? Uh, nowadays, it's all about you know electronic cars. Is that something that the company wants to get into? Is you know battery operated cars or maybe a hybrid? Or is it going to be like Orwell Redenbacher, where you have one thing and you do it better than everyone else? Tesla is exclusively electric cars. They they have no gas cars, but now Ford and other companies are they have gas cars and electric and hybrid. So what's the market problem, and should that company solve it for what their vision and their goals are? Um, and if so, then it benefits the organization. You're on mute. I can't wait till the carpet gets replaced downstairs and I can go back to my my office. Uh, great analogy there with the with the, the cars. I, I, you know, from I've had a conversation with Steve for as long as I've been talking with Steve about is luxury cars a persona or a problem, right? And if you think about right what we're solving, is transportation really the problem? This goes into the, even the tiering of problems, high level problem, getting from A to B. Car I own, car I. Uh, rent car I have for 10 minutes, you know, public transportation, there's so many different ways to think about what problems are we solving. And the reality is, you know, Steve, I'm thinking of my, my pizza story, right? I, when I was living in uh, north of Philadelphia, in our shopping center, the local strip mall where the supermarket was, two doors down from each other were a Domino's pizza and Originals pizza, right? For 12 years, they're still both there. How does a, a pizza place that charges 15 bucks differ from a pizza place that charges seven bucks, right? And the problem- well, One of them has good pizza. <laughs> yeah. Well, the problem that Originals was solving is that they have good, I want good pizza. I want good food. I want to talk to Sal, right? The problem that Domino solves is I want pizza delivered to me. I want quick pizza. Uh, I don't care if it's good or not. And I think so much of what we talk about uh, is right where personas and problems converge uh, because there's a specific group of people who have a specific problem who value a specific thing. We need to understand those levels of it. What do you think, Steve? Yeah. Um, Go ahead, Dutch. Well, so luxury cars, you know, yeah, sure. Maybe it's a persona. Maybe the, maybe the problem I think my headset's about to go out. Maybe the problem is that they're building a car for the passenger who is going to have a driver. And yep. so that's what they're trying to resolve is something that can be luxury for the passenger to be transported and not be part of that transportation. So it's more experience in the back with, you know, a wet bar <laughs> and other uh, uh, things the, that the don't have to be done the... while you're driving. With a recliner that allows you to almost lie flat, right? So, or, or a hot tub in the very back. <laughs> Some of those limousines have them. Yeah, yeah I always no. thought that luxury cars was really more about, I wasn't sure if all my neighbors knew how wealthy I was. So I bought a luxury car to show, make sure they knew it. No, and, and status is always one of those things, right? Are we buying? And that's where Jobs to be done, I think, has done a decent job of helping people cut through uh, some of the things, what's the job we're doing for ourselves. So any last thoughts on the Monday question before we go to the poll? All right. Uh, on 
Wednesday, we put this poll in the community. What is the hardest part of communicating market problems to get right? And the options were clearly defining the persona or market segment, getting to the root of the problem, identifying why the problem matters, packing everything in a story that resonates or other it depends. And I finally got a zero other it depends. So I'm feeling good about this. Uh, Clearly, 63% identifying why the problem matters uh, it was sort of leading that there. 18% uh, on packing everything into a story that resonates, uh, Jason and Brian Weber. So it was a Weber answer. Uh, and then 18% for clearly defining the persona or market segment. Dominic, I'm going to let you take this first before I give it a chance. And then eventually we'll give uh, everybody, all the people on the identifying why it matters a chance to uh weigh in sure and and look i mean this week wasn't uh actually wasn't easy uh to answer that one and uh, i like the uh you know chicken and the egg problem statement from corey uh but for me here i think it really to connect the dots was what we just discussed right i think it's it's it all starts with uh the market and i i think it's it's um the challenge of identifying um, the segment and the persona is, is the most difficult because I'll, I'll give you an example. We were talking about, you know, cars and in the text here, planes, but there's another vehicle of transportation, which is the horizontal, uh, the vertical transportation, right, was, was elevators. And, you know, for years, we've been discussing some personas to realize that there was one persona we didn't address, right? And in really digging into the segmentation and the personas, we realized that we had an opportunity of addressing a persona that was actually not a paying customer, but we were delivering value for an ecosystem that would bring additional value for the overall, you know, business. So long story short, you know, persona and market segment is really, I think, the hardest part uh, for, for, for us. And I, I've, I've voted on this one just purely because I'd say if I'm looking at my clients over the past 10 years, or even longer than that, uh, the biggest problem most people had was with poor segmentation. They're trying to be all things to all people. Uh, it's very hard for companies, for people to say no, right? You know, whether it's finance or sales asking for a bigger TAM. And so we create the bigger, we define the market bigger. And that's sometimes the antithesis. Roger Martin says, you know, better to be a big fish in a small pond, right? Or in a, in a small TAM than to be a small fish in a big TAM. And so part of it, I think is, What's hard about it, it, we struggle with trying to be smaller in what we're targeting uh, and, and, and getting it down to that. Uh, but part of it's also how you define that is going to change what the problems is, what the problems are, and why they want to solve it, right? By understanding if you can't get to those personas and the psychographics and their motivations as you define the market, you're not going to be able to get. So to me, it was sort of a, it's a, it's a root type thing uh, was where I went with it. I noticed, I don't I think Eva or Steve on the call voted. So I, I want to give you guys a chance to vote and say what it was before uh, we go to the, the island of people on the why. 
Uh, I'll start with you, Eva. What what would you vote for? I voted. I voted for the one that has the most responses. Okay. Do you want to? I'll give you a chance to. Is that why you voted for it? No, you can't see the responses before you vote. I voted. Oh, I can. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Well, no, but I think identification is like literally the bread and butter of why we go to work each day. Like, mm -hmm. what is the problem that we're trying to solve? That's the whole epitome of and why it matters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I get it. Steve? Well, I'm just going to be a contrarian then and say getting to the root problem. Uh, I think you're, the example you gave earlier was spot on. You know, we just did a survey of, you know, which of these problems do you have when in fact the problems were corresponding to the features that the company was building? Um, getting to the root problem of uh, the story I use in our fundamentals class is, I, I think I use it in there, is um, <laughs> what, problem are you, what problem are you trying to solve with a snow shovel? It's not that I need to shovel snow. It's that I need to get my car out of the driveway. There are lots of solutions to that problem, and none of them is shovel. Um <laughs> Plow is a is a good solution, although I I'm waiting for the day when there's like hotness underneath the asphalt that burns off all of the snow. So I don't have to worry about it. You don't have to wait. That's actually a real thing here in Colorado. There we go. Well, then I'll have to move to Colorado. So getting to the core, getting to the root problem, I think, is very difficult for vendors and product managers and for all of us. All right. I love it. Uh, Corey, you, you, uh, Dominic already mentioned it. You said it's a chicken and egg problem. Uh, you need a good story that resonates. If people don't care about the problem or know why they should care about the problem, no story will win. And so you think the, the, why the problem matters is, is, is where you went. Yeah. I, I, it, maybe I've become more cynical in my experience. Uh, Corey, but I can found I say something? I, I don't think you can become more single than you've been the whole time you've been on. Hey, here. thanks, Grant. <laughs> uh, either people care about the problem or they don't care about the problem, or they're a little interested in the problem. I, there are several problems that I could not care less about. I just don't care. I, okay, cool. I'm going to go over here. Uh, there's problems that I do care about intensely. And there's problems that I'm like, eh, I'm okay. I, you know, I'd like to learn more, or maybe when I learn more, I'll stop caring or caring either way. But if I'm talking to somebody, and frequently I've done this with, uh, <laughs> I did this last week uh, at work. I've done it at, at home. I've done it with other things where I try to explain something that I'm really passionate about. It's like, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. And somebody just doesn't care. <laughs> like, are you crazy? Are you nuts? Why are you, why are you so obsessed with this thing? Because I care about it. But if the other person doesn't care about it, we were talking to a client, uh, a potential customer the other week. They're like, oh, we, we do, we'd like to do this, this, and this. And we got done with the call and I was talking to my coworker and they were like, oh, what's well, great. Well, we need to change this and this. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not changing anything. That's not our customer. That's not somebody who cares about the problem that we have. They have a totally different problem. And that problem is not one we care about solving because we are in a different business than they are. We are in a different market than they are. We are, we are solving a different problem than they are trying to solve. And that means that their problem, while interesting to them, we don't care about. 
and that's a hard thing to get people to a realize, understand, and and be biased about. Is I care about that problem, or I don't care about that problem. But but Corey, they had they gave me money. They here's they, a they said here here I have some money. Would you please take it? And the correct answer is no. Well, yeah. no, they, they didn't even give you money. They promised you money. Even well, better. they didn't even do that. They just like, oh, you know, this sounds interesting or this <clears> looks like an interesting product. But for them to use it, we would have to change almost everything that we're doing, the market we're going after, the way we're building the product, who the product's designed for. I mean, you, again, you can't be you can't be Google Docs. Maybe you can be, but we're not trying to be Google Docs, which you could do literally anything in there. But I, I that notion of why the problem matters to either us or to that person, if you can't identify that, I don't care what story you tell. Yeah, in, in, in our strategic positioning uh, work, we, we start with the problems and we go to the value. And I've often said that if you can get that value right, the why it matters, and not just tangibly, but intangibly, the certainty, the peace of mind, whatever it may be, that's truly when you really are able to, to separate yourself. Awesome, Corey, thank you. May. I think if you get why the problem matters, like if you're successful at it, you spark curiosity. And so you're not going to be able to boil the ocean in your um, explanation of why the problem matters. You're, you're going to want to uh, because you're like, oh, there are all these nuances that people need to understand. But the most important thing is to just spark a sense of curiosity. It's like, oh, this is interesting. This is an interesting problem to solve. How do I learn more? It's like, oh, well, there are all these pathways. Like, you know, I wrote this amazing document that has a lot more nuance to it. Um, let's bring in a person from either the industry or like this operations person who's been working with like 10 of these clients. Um, let's have them talk to us and we can sit here and like ask questions and understand what's, what the reality is. But like at the first exposure, like the most important thing is really to spark that curiosity and you won't spark the curiosity without a why. No, in, in May, you're actually making me reconsider my answer, although I'm very strongly on, I think it's a problem. <laughs> but, you know, you, 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 you hear, you know, getting to the why helps with that purpose, right? And you go back to Simon Sinek and the what about why. And, you know, maybe it's, you know, not the hardest part, but maybe it's the most impactful part, right? If you can get people working to a purpose, uh, and understanding that they're trying to change the world, right? If you can see, help people see they're saving lives or they're saving time or they're saving whatever it may be, right? Understand the why, that, that is a great way. Help them connect and have empathy towards the client, the customer. How is it not the hardest part though? Like you're trying to get maybe six to 10 to 20 to 50 people on board with what you're trying to do. Um, and you need to spark curiosity in all those people somehow. So unless if you're starting a cult, like that's a really hard thing to do. Yeah. It's like we we need a way to solve like how people pick up food from this counter. Like that is not the sexiest problem, you know? Uh <laughs> no, I, I get it. I, I get it. It is hard. I mean, I wasn't. I was not. I was thinking about the me figuring it out as much as the empowering the organization aspect of it, but getting people behind that why might be harder than getting people behind the persona or segment that we're targeting. So I will, I will, again, say that my vote is in flux, uh, but 
you know, I think somebody had said, I think Paul made it said as all critical elements, right? The reality is those three things, it's the who, the what, and the why. That's sort of what the answers were. Uh, and then there's the crafting the story uh, part. Uh, Calvin, it's up to you to like switch Grant's vote Cal now. Calvin and, no, Calvin and Dutch are both on the same, on why with you. So either they're gonna, either they're gonna counter you and get me to go back to Dominic or <laughs> we'll start with Calvin and then we'll go to, to, to Dutch. <laughs> Anything left to add, Calvin? Yeah, I mean, I I looked at it from from the point of view of uh, prioritization and how do you how I communicating and then identifying why it matters will allow you to get you know potentially to get resources or get other people in the organization behind the belief that a product or a, a problem needs to be solved. You know, whatever that problem may be. I mean, I could see the point that Steve was making about getting to the root of the problem because sometimes it is hard to understand. I mean, I think the 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 snow on the on the driveway is a, is a pretty good example, and it kind of made me rethink my uh, answer. Not quite. But you live in here. Southern Florida. You don't have snow on your driveway. Yeah, but I grew up in Milwaukee, so I had to think okay. about that. You know, I was like, oh yeah, I don't have to do that anymore. But so I one of the solutions, in. one of the solutions to getting rid of snow on the driveway is to move to Florida. Yeah, well, or it's somewhere still south. on the driveway. It's just not my driveway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which, which kind of pulls me into Corey's problem. It's a problem that I don't care about. Yeah. No, I, I, it makes a lot of sense. Now, now, Dutch, you recently moved from a southern state to a northeastern state, and you now have to deal with snow on your driveway. Or maybe not this season, you didn't have to. A little bit. We're, we're, you know, you've again voted for the why. You know, any any more points to 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 argue in favor of the. Why? You know, so identifying that there is a problem is is fairly easy in comparison to why it matters to the people that maybe want to resolve that problem. Uh, sticking on the weather incident, you know, tornadoes in one area. You know, hey, there's tornadoes. Yeah, well, why do we why do we care? We're in California. We don't need basements, especially because we have earthquakes in California. Well, in Tornado <laughs> Alley, they have basements, but they don't have to worry about earthquakes, but they have to worry about the tornadoes. You have to understand why it's important to the market segment that you're targeting. Um, it, saying that there's a problem is is easy in comparison to why it matters. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think <clears throat> I've decided it's all of the above. Because uh, any of these, the who, the what, the why, it's easy to get high level, but to truly get down to the tangible, really resonating, have it nailed, is hard in all of them, right? Uh, too often, we're all too vague. Vague on the problem, vague on who has the problem, vague on what the value is, and vagueness isn't going to win in this situation. Steve, Grant, any last thoughts? Isn't it interesting that Grant was able to add a question to the poll of all of the above when he never lets us do that? Well, Grant cheated. It's his show, I guess. It's his show. He can do what he wants to, but he cheated because one of the reasons that I like the, the poll questions is because it's what is the hardest part or what is the most important or something. So there is something that is the most or the hardest or whatever. There's supposed to be some answer. Is it a just, it's all important. You're, you're, it's all you're right, priority Corey, you're, one. You're, you're quoting me saying it's always about the hardest or the most. And you're right. I will stick with Dominic on 
the personas and segmentation because I think that creates context for those two. And if you don't get that right, you can't get the other two right. But we'll see what happens. <clears throat> All right. Our first question, we may only have time for this one. Where do product managers struggle the most with market problems? You know, if this is a difficult thing, which I see it is in my experience, what, where do they struggle the most with? And Eva, I'm going to start with you going back to the, you know, you, you had talked about your struggle with this question to start with. I'd love to get you as the first person to, to, to weigh in on this. I think right now everyone is so fascinated with AI. I think everybody wants to go after the shiny object um, and the most exciting thing that it may be great for a certain sector, but it might not be great for your organization or your personas. So I think that this is where we kind of go off the rails a bit. I think that Every product manager, if you look on Twitter, is kind of having similar conversations about what's so exciting and what they want to build and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, well, what, what, you know, what are your customers telling you? What is your data telling you? So I think we need to get away from the shiny objects and look at the dull pennies and try to, you know, get them shiny first before we can jump to the already new coins, if that's a very old analogy. I don't even know if that exists. I'm sorry. Actually, it, it, it resonates with me because, and, and I would say sometimes it's not the product managers themselves who are, who are addicted to the shiny object. It's the leadership saying, we need an AI product. And, you know, often what happens is the solution, the how AI or whatever it would be is takes precedence over the what, the who, and the why right, of the market problem, right? AI is maybe a great solution to solve some market problems, but if you lead with a solution, you lose context. And I, 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 that makes a ton of sense. Uh, Dutch. Sorry, get myself off mute. Um, I, I think that they're, the biggest struggle is communicating that why, why it's important. Uh, going back to the other question. I mean, Doubling down on the poll, I love it. Yeah. All right. Long story short. <laughs> Calvin. I was leaning toward the same answer, actually. Okay. Yeah. So ditto. I'm going to say, yeah, ditto. Ditto. All right. What, what, what he said, wherever he is. <laughs> he's, he's below you. I'm with stupid, right? <laughs> Dominic. Stay consistent with, you know, uh, was other discussion, previous discussion is getting with a customer, you actually listening. I'll leave it at that. I mean, I, actually, that was when I wrote this question, that's where my head was, is right. We hear so many people struggle with actually getting the customers to, to do discovery and, and, and to learn. Mm -hmm. And so whether they're being blocked by sales, whether they're being blocked by not having budget, Right. Calvin, had, you know, he talked about it earlier. My biggest trick, everybody joked about Grant's boondoggles, but I would find ways to get speaking or panel positions at conferences. And that way, the partner would pay for my trip to be out there because I was speaking or on the panel. So I didn't have to worry about my budget. And then I would do trips to Vegas for a, for a conference or whatever it may be. And I would have a four o'clock dinner, a six o'clock dinner, and an eight o'clock dinner. Right. And that was four, three different conversations I could have that evening with three different customers. And so to me, 
outside of the meta factor of there's not one level of market problem. The reality is there's sort of theme level. I mean, I'll use the old agile terminology of themes and initiatives and epics and uh, user stories, right? You need to be able to tell them at all of those levels. And I think that's also something we struggle with. But if you don't have that source material, if you don't have those conversations and the data, how do you build them? Corey. Uh, I want to build on Dominic's answer because it was leaning toward mine is focus and focus on talking to a customer that has this problem and why that problem is important to them versus all the other things that we could do. We could be given uh, market problems to solve. We could be told what problem to solve. We could listen to a customer. They want a different problem solved. I think focusing on the specific problem that we're trying to solve and why that matters to a customer, being able to focus on that one thing and that one thing only um, is what I see most people, they, they, they want to do 10 things at once instead of that one thing. I, I, I agree. Right. And that's some of some, that's with what we want to do in our products too. We always want to do too much. We need to focus on that next step uh, and get that done. May. I'm going to go a little bit different here. Um, the, if you've been there for a while, recognizing uh, what your assumptions are versus what is reality, especially as the market changes around you, because we all get a little complacent once we feel like we know the market. Um, yep. So I think keeping an eye on that with the market problems. Uh, completely. I mean, there's a, we, I've talked about product management hubris in the past, but sometimes that's the problem is we think we know it all and we, we, we fix our ideas that are in assumptions at a point in time and we stop evolving them. Uh, yeah. I completely and totally agree with that. And I also agree with everyone else. That's a yes end. Oh, hey, those are the best types, right? Steve. I think I'm just going to say noise. <clears throat> There's so much noise in product management and it, it's hard to cut through all of the noise and, and identify uh, I, there are, you know, there are things that I need to go out and find for myself and not just take secondhand advice from everyone. Did you guys notice Steve says, I'm just going to say noise <laughs> and then went on to talk for a while. I wasn't sure you understood the context. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, Steve. No, it is. I mean, I think, you know, noise is, is, you know, we've talked about burnout. We've talked about a whole bunch of other stuff. And I think, you know, noise is a critical one because we get pulled in so many directions. And, you know, you know, if we could do uh, five whys on that, maybe it's root cause analysis, right? Maybe we go and see its roles and responsibility. We don't have clearly defined roles. Uh, and that doesn't help with this either. Uh, wow. This conversation has me thinking as it does every week. So time for our takeaways. Uh, what are your biggest learning or takeaway from this conversation. And I'm going to start with you, Calvin. Calvin, you're on mute. Yeah, no, I didn't hear you. you throw, I, oh. I froze from it. I was, I was kind of thinking, what are, what are my takeaways? Can you come back to me on this one? Uh, of course. I, you know, I almost said, Calvin, are you ready? But I, I guess it wouldn't have mattered because it froze anyway. I, I would just said no. Dutch. I, I think that most of us are aligned on this topic this week in comparison to previous weeks. Uh, so I think we 
we're all pretty much uh, in sync. You know, I, I like that because I think that none of us are denying the other aspects, who, what, why, right, and the importance of these things. I think we're all agreeing with everybody says, but there's so much. I think Steve may have hit some stuff on the noise. Dominic. Yeah, like Dutch was saying is everything is important. <laughs> but if everything is important, is nothing important? Well, then you prioritize, right? And that's why I said early on, it's like, well, I, I want to focus on this, uh, you know, persona and the market segment. Yeah. But everything else is important, obviously, right? Oh, gosh, Dom doing a good job bringing the poll back. Sorry. <laughs> Calvin, you ready? Yeah, actually, I am. So we have our we have our, our annual conference next week, and in the poll, the uh, poll questions I'm pointing to on the other screen, getting to the root of the problem, um, like thinking that as I'm setting up conversations with people at the at these meetings, really understanding some of the challenges that they have in their organization, and that's something that I'll be mindful of this week, you know, getting to the root of their problem. And we actually did this just to make sure you're prepared, Calvin. So I'm glad the timing was good. Thank you for thinking of me, Grant. I appreciate yeah, you. Of course. And he's you given are. you permission, uh, Calvin, to have lunch, uh, dinner three, four, five <laughs> times a day. <laughs> a couple of breakfasts, a couple of lunches, two or three dinners. And I've got a, I've got a happy hour that starts at nine o'clock. I'm like, yeah. oh, it's a little late. Awesome. At night, at night, Steve. <laughs> Not at night. Just to be clear. <laughs> Eva. I think uh, today was just a, a lot about storytelling too, storytelling and empowerment. I think they're two big things that jumped out at me. Yeah, uh, and, and the storytelling is a way to help with the empowerment, to get people bought in, to understand it, and that's critical. Uh, you need the components, the who, what, the why, but you also need to craft the story with the data to get there. I love it. Corey. How much better I need to be at this is my biggest takeaway. <laughs> I just, I, I, you know, I'm better than I was. I'm not as good as, as other people. And I, I just need to find ways that I can continue to improve in communicating these market problems because they are so impactful when you do. And yeah. the better I am at it, the better the product will be, the better the company will be. And get the rainbows for everybody. Yeah, and and when we get to my answer, you'll see mine sort of as the twin to that. Uh, I love it. Uh, May, we all want to do it. I think we all struggle to do it because it is one of the hardest things to do, which is explain the why. Um. <laughs> Boy, Dom, she's coming at us. <laughs> um, and I, I think it, there is no right or wrong answer, right? Um, but if we think about it a little more systemically, I think we could get closer to our desired results. Nice. My friend, Steve. I'm gonna agree with the storytelling aspect. Uh, I, I, I think we all need to be better storytellers uh, because I, I think the way we really empower our teams is by having them care about solving a problem and when when you care it's just like oh i, I want to work on this through the weekend because i want to help this person so desperately so personifying 
the problem in a, in a story, I think, is the big takeaway. And no. if you need help in this, there's a wonderful book called Made to Stick by Dan and Chip, is it Heath? Yeah. Uh, to all about how to tell good stories. And then you add shift to that about change management will give you some insights of how to do that as well from a change management standpoint. Uh, completely and totally agree. And I think, you know, my first takeaway is there is there is change management in this, right? We're trying to get people to change their opinions on things which they might have or their assumptions on things when we tell these stories and frame the context. But to me, you know, sort of a, a little aligned with Corey, I think we all need to get better at this, but the reality is that there is a fidelity issue, right? We often tell these stories at a low fidelity right? Which doesn't help people really get it and understand. And so we need to make sure that we are refining it down to get more high fidelity in it. And this is about Dom. Yes, we need to do a better job of defining the segments and personas and understanding the, their problem, you know, and understanding their problems and understanding the value they get from it, but understanding the motivators. And if, if we try to keep everything at a high level, we're going to be, you know, warm tea, right? Not iced tea, not hot tea, but warm tea in the middle, somewhere mushy. Right. And we need to do a better job of serving personas and segments and solving their problems with the value that they want and need. And too often, everybody's up here in the problems, in the personas and segments, in the value. It's all mushy. It's all vague. And we need to do a better job of getting down to do that. So I, I always a great conversation made me think a lot. I need to work on my storytelling. I, I know that. Uh, but you know, even each of these aspects, there's even critical components in the who, the what, and the why that we need to get in there. And depending on the lens, right, we have different ways we frame the story uh, to tell different, to, to get different things to happen. So thank you guys for an amazing conversation. Uh, I previewed this because uh, of Dutch must have hacked our systems and found the question for Monday uh, or hacked my PowerPoint and saw the topic for next week. Next week's topic is going to be just that second part of Dutch's answer empowering the organization market problems is one way we do it but how can product make one of our roles is empowering right it's about empowering the whole organization how do we do it how do we do how do we get really good at that and i'm you know it started as a stakeholders thing but i don't like the term stakeholders anymore and so i'm just going to talk about empowering the organization uh and with that said uh we do this every week uh, Monday, the question goes in the community. Wednesday, we have our polls. And on Fridays, we have these amazing conversations. So I want to thank everybody. Dutch, Calvin, Dominic, Eva, Corey, May, my friend Steve. We'll see everybody next week in the community. Have a great weekend, everybody. Hello. Thanks for listening to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week. If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another episode. For more great content and to participate in the Topic of the Week conversations, go to community.productgrowthleaders.com and join the conversation.